You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Thank you for joining us on Wealth Tech on Deck. This is the podcast focused on wealth tech strategy, where we talk to industry leaders about the future of digital and human advice, much like I do every day with people around the wealth tech industry. I'm going to have a conversation with a leader in our space, and we are going to talk about enabling advisors and their clients and firms to enjoy improved financial outcomes. Today, we're going to talk with Lori Hardwick. Lori is the chairman of Riskalyze and on the boards of Orion Advisor Tech, Satera Financial Group, and many other firms. She's one of the leading industry voices on investing in wealth tech and making a difference with financial advisory firms, their advisors, and clients. And she is a lot of fun. Lori, welcome. Good to have you here. Oh, thanks, Jack. I'm excited to be here to talk with you. Always a pleasure. Yes. Great fun. We're going to have, I can tell. So, Lori, tell us uh, our audience about uh, your journey in the advisory and wealth tech space. Uh, You've worn a lot of different hats and continue to wear many. How'd you get your start? And would love to hear some of the highlights of your career. Sure. So, you know, I feel so fortunate with my path. It was not one that I actually set out to take after I graduated from The Ohio State University. Like a lot of people, we kind of fall into financial services. And that was my case as well. I graduated and actually went to Chicago and went through one of those, you know, kind of early graduation headhunter experiences and ended up at a uh, bond shop. Muni Bonds is what we sold. It was called Griffin Cubic Stevenson Thompson. And I worked for the principal, one of the principals of the firm, Larry Stevens, um, who I learned a ton from. But Back then, and that was in uh, 1991, you know, it was very clear that at, at least at that firm, all the salesmen were men and all the assistants were women. Yes. So that I lasted about three years there, um, really enjoyed it and really, you know, learned a lot, but knew that that couldn't be my future if I really wanted to continue to stride up the ladder. So I then took that experience of working with Muni Bonds and became a wholesaler for Nuveen Investments. So much like you, Jack, I started early in my career as a wholesaler. And as you probably can agree, there's no better, there's really no better foundation for learning the business. Best training ground in the universe, I think. Yeah, learning the business. That's where I really found that I loved working with financial advisors and under, you know, really felt a calling, if you will, that's maybe too overt, but I really did feel passionate about helping financial advisors. Um, I loved what they did to help, you know, uh, to help clients meet their financial goals. And I thought there was nothing cooler than being kind of a supporting actress to them. So I um, did that for about five years. I had my first baby in 1997 And as you might expect, wholesaling didn't mix perfectly with having a (laughs) child. Um, So I was really fortunate. My boss at the time, Amy Tolley, gave me the opportunity to kind of figure out what I could do next inside Nuveen. I uh, pitched an idea to the senior executive team about starting a RIA program. And back in 1997, that was 
really very um, early in the origins of RIAs, and especially for Nuveen, who worked with, you know, the big wirehouses. Sure, sure. So, but that worked out fantastic. I, they funded the program. I became head of the very first RIA division for Nuveen. And we were really allowing our research on municipal bonds, which was fantastic at Nuveen, it still is, to work its way through the newfangled email system to, <laughs> to, to get to those RIA desks. And it, and it worked great. So obviously today, the RIA program there is one of the largest divisions. So mm-hmm. I feel really fortunate to have been given that opportunity. Five of us from Nuveen then decided to take off and start a little firm called InvestNet, left with um, Judd Bergman and four others, Bill Kreger as well. And we um, started the firm in December 1999. And so, you know, being on the ground floor of this new dot com, um, if you will. And- by, by the way, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but I was uh, head of distribution at Phoenix Investment Partners, and one of our partners' f- firms that we bought was Roger Ingham and Associates, one of the, a renowned growth manager back in the 90s and so on, yeah. 2000s. And uh, I was out visiting Pasadena, and there were these three crazy people visiting Roger named Judd Bergman, Larry Hardwick, <laughs> and Bill Krager with some crazy <laughs> idea called InvestNet. And I said, well, that's never going to fly. So how wrong can one be? But go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, it, those were early days. They were sweet days. They were also, you know, as you know, it's a lot of blood, sweat and tears as well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. the culmination of all that in 2010 to take that company public was, you know, just so wonderful. Um, sure. Ringing the bell on the New York Stock Exchange. It's just, you know, one of those days you never forget. I was there at InvestNet as pres- group president, which of the core business, um, till 2016. And really, what that meant is anything relationship management, sales, training, you know, anywhere we were interfacing with clients. Um, that was, yeah. you know, the folks that I was working with. So in 2016, I got wooed away by Pershing. I became COO at the parent company level at Pershing. And then after that, I um, started my own company with Mike Zabrowski uh, called Advisor Innovation Labs. We um, sold that company, you won't believe this, March 6th, 2020. Oh, really? (laughs) Good timing. Good timing. Yeah, it was good timing. So we sold that to InvestNet and it's still thriving today. So that is kind of the background that I have and you know, kind of brings us up to today anyway. So I, I want to hear more about today and what you're working on. And we haven't had a chance to catch up on all the detail. And I know you, you seem to be everywhere <laughs> providing good thoughts, deep thoughts, wonderful thoughts around how to drive business, whether you're a wealth tech or an advisory firm and all this stuff's coming together anyway. It's all it's all wealth tech in my my view and just how you how you play that out. And I know you're involved with private equity and lots of different stuff. So talk a little bit about what are you, what are you working on today? What's... Uh, a lot of strategic advice. You've been around a while and know your stuff. And how are you contributing that? <laughs> sure. So today I have my consulting firm. I'm CEO of Wealth Tech for Red Rock um, at Strategic Advisors. I work with uh, Matt Johnston on that, who's a fantastic guy. And then I also am a strategic advisor or on the strategic advisory board to GenStar, which is a um, 
a huge private equity firm out of San Francisco. They own Cetera. They own the most recent one we worked on together is the Brinker and Orion deal. So I really believe my entire career has brought me to this point of where I can be, you know, valuable and impactful for these M&A deals. I love working with the folks at GenStar. We see things very similarly for how to help these uh, companies grow and and really fortify them with the pieces they need to be bigger and better for their clients. And so, you know, in, in, in a lot of what I see, Jack, like in the industry itself, and I mean, this isn't, you know, groundbreaking, but it's happening more and more is kind of marrying up that old technology to new technology. Mm-hmm. And certainly back in my InvestNet days, Judd, no one was better than Judd Bergman to kind of bring those things together. And I lived it over and over and over. We were serial acquirers. And so I have a lot of experience in kind of seeing what good can come from that. And, and also when it fails, what mm-hmm. doesn't come together as well. And to be able to kind of stand in front of the train and say, let's not do it this way. I've seen this movie before. Yeah, I think you'd agree and love to hear more about this. This stuff's complicated. And people set up a system one way and another group sets up another way and they want to work. It looks like they have complementary capabilities, but they don't talk to each other. It's the, the nits and grits are pretty complicated, not to mention the strategic cultural issues that come along with it. Talk, talk a little bit about that because it sounds like you must play in the middle of all that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I definitely would not downplay cultural. Um, cultural is probably the biggest indicator as to whether that marriage will work or not. And it can be hard. I know at InvestNet, when we bought Prudential, for example, Prudential was super buttoned up. All their clients were buttoned up, you know, banks for the most part using their wealth management platform. And that's why InvestNet hadn't won that business because we weren't buttoned up enough for those clients. And so, you know, I remember when they came on board, that team They were super, you know, super talented, but wired differently. We were getting executive reports before we went into meetings. We're like, what are you doing? (laughs) This is not how we work. And so, you know, I, but I still see that happen today is, you know, that cultural divide, if you will, can make it or break it. And then with the technology, as you take that even further, you're right. The code bases are you know, it's more complicated than one might think, but it's also about the people. Yep. Because what happens is that the people want to hang on to their code and want to hang on to what they've created. And so having a very strong leadership that says, no, we're going to pick this horse and you're going to fold into that code can sometimes be very difficult for firms to make that, you know, kind of heavy handed decision. And so I think that, you know, ultimately, as firms are building kind of the old into the new, it's really important to remember that it's not quite as easy as it might seem on paper. What I do think has changed about the industry, and I think is great for our industry, is, you know, the data transfer from one to the next is so much easier than it used to be. Mm you know, to seven years ago, the whole idea of APIs came to market, allowing us to transfer, you know, data from one application to the next without that code having to sit inside 
the other code base. And so, you know, as far as accelerating experience, I think that has helped a lot just to have the connective tissue there. Yeah, let's talk about that, because as you can imagine, at at Lifefield, we're API driven. We work with lots of other folks software Mm -hmm. and we're a a component part. We, We think of ourselves as pretty important, but it's all about how you work, how you play nice in the, in the uh, code sandbox, if you will, in terms of creating a more unified managed household. Remember that term? Well, it's coming back and lots oh, of people yeah. are working on that. Virtually every major firm is working on it in fa- one fashion or another. So maybe as we shift from what you're doing now, which is trying to make all this stuff work together, where do you see it all going? And I'm, I'm assuming API is at the center of it. That, in other words, for those that may not be familiar, you might want to explain what that means, not in a technical way, but just basically a way that you can have a you can uh, all play together as your APIs talk to other APIs. And so the user experience is a consistent and clean one. But maybe talk about that and also where you see the world going in terms of wealth tech investment, and advisory, all that kind of stuff. Where, where are we headed? Sure. So I think that, you know, first of all, with APIs, that is just a, a more simplified way to transfer certain data points from one application to the next. And you have to have like you said, Jack, two firms that want to work together for that to happen. You have to have two willing parties. And, you know, frequently when you see API data transferring from one application to the next, it can only, you know, sometimes it's only one way. What we are moving towards in the most recent years is a push and a pull. So it can show up in both applications. But what I see happening mostly with the very large firms like the Cetera's and and others, they want their own rendering of that data to their advisors and to their clients. The user experience, right? That's right. The user experience. And they, you know, they just don't want to look and feel like everyone else. I mean, so when they're kind of picking their own best of breed for those modules that they want to show up to their advisors and to show up to their clients, they're being very deliberate in the way that those choices are made and then how those applications talk to each other. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time drain on advisors is taking, I call it the swivel chair effect, you know, taking one piece of information from one application and then taking that into the next and then the next and the next and the next to try to build a really comprehensive, holistic story for their client. And so if we can use technology to kind of make those connections for that advisor Mm -hmm. and make the story, you know, reasonable for that advisor to just be able to click in and see it all in one place, that will build capacity in their day. And ultimately, I believe, help them, you know, allow or allow them to, you know, really serve more clients. And that that's the whole point of you know, what we're trying to do. And if I may, I'm going to do a variation on that, uh, translate it slightly differently, just to make clarity, because I, as I talk to a lot of people about what you and I are now talking about, they, their eyes glaze over, API, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'll just use the example, one of our, our clients, Morgan Stanley, basically they own the user experience. They own the desktop. It's called Wealth Desk, and they have a planning tool called GPS, a goals planning system. They got a bunch of stuff. It's, it's all connected. And then they work with lots of vendors like us. And Lifefield does tax and Aladdin does risk at, at Morgan Stanley. And they're working on issues around cost. In other words, what investment costs with the whole idea of how do we improve outcome? That's all where this is headed, right? Is how do we take all this complexity, all this data that used to be different, 
now it's it's getting rationalized or synthesized or whatever the right term is, but the the data flow is consistent. And then the issues of cost, risk, tax. We also do a lot of work around social security, including that as part of an income stream as a, as an example. So how do you pull it all together via API, back and forth, push and pull as you described. Right. And the whole objective, and this is more for our audience because I know you know all this, but just uh, <laughs> is basically it's ultimately, ultimately about how do you improve outcome? How do you improve a better advisor experience and outcome for them, frankly, financially, because if they do a better job, they have more clients and more assets and so on. But ultimately, it's about the the investor. If you can help improve their outcome, that's all a good thing. So I'm I'm assuming that's the sort of stuff you work on day to day. Maybe you want to amplify that just a bit more? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, that experience and outcome is, you know, critically important and, you know, connecting the dots for the end client to be able to see everything in one place is critically important. I think also what gets underplayed in our industry is, you know, that we are up against, you know, whether we want to be or not up against the Googles, the Amazons, those experiences. The Walmarts are coming. That's right. I saw that this week. So, you know, I think that, you know, we have to up our game in several areas. And one of those is that even now, when we're rendering information to end clients, it's most often read only. You know, they can go in and they can see it, but what can they do with it? And, you know, one of the things that I, you know, we were building at AI Labs is kind of this system of engagement where end clients can actually do what-if scenarios and that the advisor is prompted to see that, oh, Lori Hardwick's in there doing a what-if scenario. What does that mean? I'll give her a call. So not cutting the advisor out, but making sure technology becomes additive to the relationship and brings that client into the fold of utilizing that technology, bringing them back over and over Because every time that client interacts with that advisor's technology, they are looking at that as their experience with their advisor, even Mm. though they're not calling them. And I can tell you the millennials, nothing annoys them more than to have to pick up the phone and call and ask for what's what's the balance of my account or how, you know, did that transfer go through? They want to see everything in the palm of their hand. And so we need to make sure we're not just allowing for the transparency to that data, but also the ability to interact with it. And you know what, Jack, the one thing I truly believe is that that transparency and ability to interact digitally will build trust with that advisor. The more they can see, the more that trust their advisor, and that is critical to building those long-term relationships and keeping those clients happy. Totally. So I, I'm going to add a, a, a piece here that I don't know if you've seen this data, but I've been following it lately. It's been popping up all over the place. And that's to do with the baby boomers. I'm familiar with them, as I are one. <laughs> that four times as many people, the run, the run rate of people retiring was four times as high in 2020 versus 2019. Mm, interesting. 1.1 million people, uh, baby boomers, retired in 2020 versus 250,000 the year before. McKinsey did a study, there's a 350% increase in money in motion. Mm-hmm. And that's largely because people are, basically what's happening is they're retiring or being retired. That's also a big component of that retirement as people are in their 50s and 60s, uh, basically at the high end of the pay scale. And when firms cut back, they cut back the high end, uh, backfill with the 
younger and less expensive folks. That's just the reality of what happens. So what's happening is more and more people are retiring. And as they retire, and oftentimes that retirement is uh, abrupt and not exactly planned, that a big challenge going forward, and I'd love to get your comments on this, is how do we help these baby boomers uh, who are not going to get a paycheck anymore, create a paycheck and draw income and make sure that it lasts and all that sort of stuff. I, I would imagine, I know you're on the, on the board, chair of the board of, of Riskalyze where they talk about risk uh, mm-hmm. and I'm sure something, and I know Ryan's doing a lot of work around this kind of stuff and, we, and you're on that board. So talk a little bit about where you see all that going as these baby boomers retire and all this money needs to get drawn down. Yeah. What's your prediction? How does that play out over the coming years? Well, you know, it's a great question. And certainly the market has been, we've been in a very bull, bullish market. So, you know, that can, th- those assets continue to grow, even though, you know, kind of historically you look at, you know, retirement income and how, or assets and how they dwindle, but they're actually growing at a relatively rapid rate right now. And I am also on the board of Vestwell, um, which is a retirement, you know, platform that really is a turnkey asset management platform for retirement accounts. So, and I know you know Aaron Schum very well. Sure. And I, you're right. At at Orion, we're we're very much focused on that business. I think that the general technology that we have is so focused on getting you to retirement that we don't have a lot of technology built for after retirement. And, you know, there's so many emerging firms coming out. I'm sure there's someone thinking about that. But and I'm sure Lifefield probably has. Yeah, it's kind of what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And some really good, um, you know, solutions for that. And so, you know, but I I see it also on the millennial side, Jack. You know, millennials see themselves kind of retiring, if you will, every three to four years. They're like, I'm going to work three to four years and then I'm going to retire for two and then I'm going to work again. And our systems and financial planning technology is not set up like that, nor is the advisor mindset. And so we need to start, I, I always talk about what a great listener you are, and I know you've written the book on listening. And, you know, we as an industry need to listen to what those clients need so we can match them with the proper technology that will fit their desires. Well, thank you for the plug of my book, <laughs> Authentic and Ethical <laughs> Persuasion. It's about listening and, <laughs> and compelling storytelling. So I, I, I've done a little bit of both. So, uh, That's great. So our, our time draws nigh as uh, I want to keep these to, to around a half an hour. So let me uh, get a few, couple, two more questions for you. The first is, uh, what are three key takeaways you'd like to leave our audience with today? What are What are things that uh, are on your mind you hope others will remember as they go about their daily lives in in this uh, crazy work world of ours? Well, one thing I would encourage advisors to think about is, you know, the statistics show that every advisor on average uses about five to 10% of their total, of each software's total power. So start taking inventory of what you have already under your fingertips. I know there's a lot of new emerging technologies, but all of the technologies you're already using are branching out and adding new functionality and features that you may not even be aware of. So I would really encourage people to take an annual review of that because there may be solutions up underneath your current providers that you are not even aware of. The other thing I would say is, 
you know, make sure that when you're picking a technology partner that you're not just choosing for today, but also for tomorrow. How do you plan to grow your business? What are your clients up against from a, you know, well, like we were talking about, are they mostly retiring? Is there a way for them to see and for you to manage those retirement assets the way you once did during that accumulation stage? And so I would really encourage you when picking a partner to pick it for the long haul and be asking the questions for the future of your practice, not just for today. Mm -hmm. And then last, the hyper-personalized, I mean, you know, McKinsey just came out with that hyper-personalized technology. Know that that is not just needed, but expected right now. And, and, and it's not just about technology. It's also about the way that you interact with the client, whether it's marketing, whether it's content delivery, and, and also even in their own portfolios. If, you know, if they have an ESG tilt or if they want to, if they're a, you know, CEO and they're a woman, maybe they want to invest in women-owned businesses, you need to be listening to your clients for what is going to create that hyper-personalized, you know, experience and make sure that you're ready for that. Mm-hmm. That is my, that's my three. I, I could go on, but that I'll stick with those three. <laughs> sounds, sounds just right. So uh, one last question. This has been a thoroughly enjoy, enjoyable conversation. I'd like to have you share with us, as we do with each of our guests uh, each week, something interesting or unique you do outside of work that people may not know about you and would find interesting. Well, I think a lot of people know, but probably it it may be news to some, that my husband and I uh, became empty nesters about three years ago and we moved to Philadelphia. As part of that, I was kind of looking for new ways to meet people and, um, you know, get involved And so one of the things that I do on the side is work with Ben Franklin Technology Partners. And what that is, is a shark tank, truly, like literally a shark tank where the city gives gives certain funds to help build jobs to new and emerging firms. So they come in and do a 15 minute presentation to all of us that are on the board. And we give them a passing grade or a failing grade or a conditional pass for more due diligence. And then um, what's really been fun is just A, meeting the other people on the board, but B, really watching these emerging firms grow and thrive within the context of the city of Philadelphia. And so it's really been an interesting thing. And I know about all the cool new things, whether it's a new virtual or not virtual, but, um, you know, a mobile car wash that's coming or a new, you know, I'm always like in on the cool stuff that's coming to the market. And so I really have enjoyed that. And it's been a fun charitable. I think of it as charity work because I don't get paid for it, but it's just a fun way to, to get involved with my new city. That's great. Great. And making a difference to boot. So good stuff. So thank you, Laurie. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, I think we just scratched the surface, so we'll have to do this again at some point. (laughs) For our listening audience, if uh, you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, and share what we are doing here at Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. And Laurie, thanks so much. This was a real pleasure. I had a blast. Thank you, Jack. Always a pleasure talking with you. I really appreciate you having me on. Great. Good to have you on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. 
This podcast is brought to you by Life Yield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com. Thank you.